So I'm currently on uh, my fifth. Uh, uh, can you do the screen? The night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no shit, Dennis. No shit, Dennis. <laughs> Jeez, Dennis. You got Dennis, like one we're, job. A po- we're a podcast with slides, and I don't see any slides. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It was the fiber. The fiber made me do it. <laughs> oh, oh, has that shit hit yet or what? Uh, no, I'm, I, as I said, I've currently taken three more. You why? Because <laughs> I'm already in like this far. I may as well just like that's compare. nine fiber cookies, bro. That's oh, like no. four, four and, and, and a half times, times your up. fucking daily dose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna overdose on fiber. <laughs> You're gonna spontaneously combust. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you are listening to the micro machines <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Today we are talking about the E series of tanks, and we should tell you some introductions first. <laughs> okay, then no introductions. I am Dennis. I am recording from Ontario. I am Callum. I am recording from New Zealand. I am Ezra, recording from New Mexico. I'm Greg, recording from SoCal. Alrighty, Callum, what are we looking at? So, I figured we'll go a bit different this week. Uh, we are going to talk about the E-series of tanks, a development of tanks that the Germans were trying to design during the war because they really, really, really needed to. So I mean, they, didn't need... the... they didn't need to. They had the Stug 3, which would have served them throughout the entire war oh, admirably. We're like a minute and a half into the podcast, and you're already talking <laughs> about Stugs. I mean, that's a new record, actually. <laughs> We need we need to give him a uh, a limit on how many times he can mention them. Give yeah, him duct tape. I think he. <laughs> <laughs> I think he wants a special tag in the fucking Discord. Yeah, I guess he does. Guess yeah. he does. Oh no! <clears throat> You're gonna send me to horny jail, but for stugs. Yes, <laughs> I'm gonna repurpose horny jail. You don't even get like a unique tag. I'm just gonna like give you a recycled one. Yeah. Oh no. Uh, anyway. Back to it. So the E series. Well, there are five five main E series tank that uh, we all know about um, that they will confirm that they are designing the E ten, E twenty five, E fifty, E seventy five, and E one hundred. And we're going to talk uh, mainly about these five uh, in this episode. Then at the end, we'll show some uh, lesser known ones that they were sort of planning. Didn't really even make blueprint, but yeah, but basically, so what this series of tanks was was during the during the Second World War. The uh, what were the German tanks known for? Reliability, breaking down, mugging you for your transmission. Basically, yeah. So all German tanks were overly complicated. There are many, many, many different designs. You know, you got the Panzer Three, Panzer Four, Tiger One, Panther. All different designs, all requiring different parts. Um, they were slow to manufacture. They were slow to send out. They were difficult to maintain. You know, just all of that. So the E series of tanks were all designed to replace and basically standardize all the German armor into things that were cheaper, more reliable, easier to maintain, quicker to manufacture. Very efficient, really. Which is very, very German, isn't it? <laughs> Maximum efficiency. Exactly. So, one question for you before we continue. Go for it. 
So were these designs we're seeing on the screen now, were these like actual blueprints that they had thought about? Yes. So these are the ones that were most, most well-known. known. The E25, the trench crossing ability of that with the barrel sticking out, it has to be zero. Wow. Yeah. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> anyway, so, first up. Wait, I think we just lost Ezra. Crap. Did we? Wait, no, there he is. Never mind. No, still there. Did we just have our first uh, casualty? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened. I got kicked out of the uh, slides. Okay. Edit all of that out. <clears throat> so, the first one is the Jagdpanzer E10. Now, this was to replace the Hetz the Hetzer. So, basically, it's the uh, same sort of size and whatnot. It was just... Uh, there are a lot of differences in this one, though. Um, one of the things you may notice is the suspension. So, this one was to replace the Jagdpanzer um, 38T... Or the Hetzer. Fun fact, wasn't actually called Hetzer until well after the war. It was not known as Hetzer during the war. It was only after the war it was named that. I just, I just want to point out that in some alternate reality, Ezra is just drooling over the E-10 instead of the Stug. Never. <laughs> this thing is a lowrider. I just looked at the suspension. This thing's got that whole Japanese lowriding system. It's very uh, Type 10-esque. Yeah, it's, it's hideous. I love it. Yeah. I'll, I'll get I'll get to it in a sec. So <clears throat> this was called the E10, as it was be, to be classed between a 10 and 25 ton in weight, and it used the same uh, Tiger II style uh, road wheels, all steel. And this one did not have uh, torsion bar suspension or anything like that. This one used a suspension that, when it found a fighting position the suspension would lower the tank right down to the, where the top of the, the bottom of the hull was touching the tracks. And that was the combat position. So it would lower itself from... It would reduce the height from 100 and, 176 centimetres to 140 centimetres. So that's... It was supposed to... So that's about 1.76 um, metres... It dropped to 1.4 meters in height. What's that in Columbi? I don't understand yeah. the units you're using right now. Uh, in Columbi, that is uh, from point... Let's say point 0.8 Columbi down to about point 0.5. Oh, okay. That makes way more sense now. Thank you. Oh, yeah. that's impressive. Yeah, very impressive. Yeah, so this thing... Uh, so this thing could, actually, could drop itself down into a fighting position... Now, it did have quite a bit of armor. It's, uh, I've been reading the reports. That is that I've ne I can't find an actual armor value, but it's supposed to be around the same as a Hetzer on the front armor. And also, the, the suspension that we're uh, looking at, this was actually used when the Swiss designed the Panzer 61. Same, same sort of um, suspension, suspension design. How did it work really? out for him? <clears throat> Uh, pretty well, pretty well. Um, Panzer sixty one. I think they did use it. So, question: the, On the sixty one, did it have the same feature where it could like depress the suspension? Yep. Yep. What? That's... You're kidding. Why haven't we heard of this? <laughs> yeah, no, why haven't we ever heard of it? We'll need to do a whole episode on the Panzer sixty one then. Hang 
account. I'm just going to check that just to make sure, though, because you know I the th- internet. I think we would have heard of it if it did that. Oh, the you Panzer 61 is so cute. The Panzer 61, there is not a lot of information. They're keeping it secret for the whenever uh, Russia invades Finland. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it had some some sort of thing, but because you know this is what the suspension for the E10 was supposed to do. It was supposed to be able to lower the tank down and raise it up for combat, uh, combat and whatnot. So you this one, bad. yeah, you know what's bad when your references for the tank are models of it. <laughs> That's pretty much all we've got at the moment, but there are pretty good representations, actually. It was reported to have the same gun as the Hetzer. So basically, it's just an updated Hetzer. Yeah, the mantlet looks it looks the same. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, the mantlet is, yeah, probably probably the same one, to be honest. Yeah. So this, so the E10 was to replace all light tanks. This was to be the new light tank, basically. So a turretless light tank. Yep. Huh, that's weird. That huh. is really weird. Uh, Calm. Do we have any information on how this thing could it like do things like neutral traverse, like neutral turns? Could it do anything like that? Uh, no idea. Because um, a lot of a lot of these E series tanks never made it past um, blueprints and some prototypes. Okay, so but, we wouldn't really have any information on the power plant. Um, this one. This one used a Tantra 12-cylinder air-cooled diesel similar to the one on the SDK-FZ-234, or the Puma. Okay. Yeah. I guess if it's under 10 tons, I actually could probably move pretty quickly then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's not bad, actually. I have one question about it. Shoot. Um, why does it have those like fender-looking things on the very top of the hull? Like, I wouldn't think they're needed. Uh, I'd say that just be to try and protect the track when it's in combat position. Okay, yeah. And also to stop, and you also need to stop mud and stuff getting flicked up because, you know, as we talked about on the, with the Matilda, Matilda 1, they had no fenders or anything and it was prone to get in uh, dirt and debris flicked up onto the engine deck. Oh, so you, right, right. That is actually a good point, yeah. Yeah. But... It seems like it's really high up because it's got to allow for the suspension to lower the tank down to it. Right. Huh. Yeah. Cool design. Yeah. I think this one's probably the cooler of the designs. And shall we go to the next one? Yep. Thick. <clears throat> so this is the sort of upgraded version of the E10. This is the Jagdpanzer E25. So this one is... Strange, because it's called the E25 because it was between the 25 and 50 ton weight class. And this was to replace both the Panzer III and Panzer IV uh, base designs. So, yep. It just makes no sense. Why would you replace a perfectly good turreted Panzer IV with this? Wait, did Dennis just say the Panzer IV was perfect? Perfectly reasonable <laughs> acceptable mediocre compare this e25 to a panzer 4 i would take the panzer 4 yeah, yeah. Actually, you know what compared to this the panzer 4 is perfect as well there you go i said it <laughs> hey, put that down. hey put that down in the in the quotes 
So this one again had the same Tiger II uh, steel rimmed um, style wheels overlapping. The Germans really, really like their overlapping wheels. Even though it was prone to get mud and debris clogged in it and was a pain in the ass to main- maintain, they still love those overlapping wheels. I was about to say, those are horrible for blitzkrieg. Yeah. So this one, it was to be mounted with, some say a 75mm pack 42L70. Then we've got a diagram here showing a, an 88mm on it. So there's still some debate of which one it would have received and also a machine gun turret on the top. What is that, 13mm in the turret? Uh, would have just been an MG42 or 34. Ah, uh, it's a long 34 barrel. Okay, fair enough. It would have probably been like the remote-controlled turrets you saw in Hetzers and, and late Stugs. Yeah, 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 most likely. Fair enough. So, trying to find info on the E25 is pretty difficult. I can't... There's not actually a lot. This one's probably got the least amount about it that I can see. But basically, this one would function the same as the E10, but just as a sort of heavier heavier version. So, tank destroyer and possibly even medium reconnaissance as well. Because of the low profile, this thing can hide. Now, could this do the same thing as the E10 where it could depress the suspension, or is it just a lower vehicle? No, it was just a lower vehicle. It, uh, oh, this one, so the E10 was the only one with the hydraulic sus- uh, suspension. Uh, everything else was, I believe, um, torsion bar. Now, we'll talk about the standard Panzer, also known as the E50. Now, concerning what I've said about the other two, can anyone guess why it's called the E50? Because it's 50 tons 50 or tons. more. Exactly. Can I just say that the, you know, the Germans have to be running out of names if they resort to calling their thing the standard Panzer. <laughs> so um, they were called standard Panzers um, because that's what they were. They were, they, were, they, were, they were the standard. You know, it was just that was the standard for the E50, and then you got a standard. So there's only supposed to be one. So this is their medium to heavy tank. There was only supposed to be one variant of it. And then you got the E75, which is one variant of the heavy. So, so that's, this is uh, basically a, a panther and a king tiger, if they had a kid. Actually, that's a very good way to put it. A very good way. Um, so this, so the E50, the hull is very similar to the king tiger. It's... Um, Slightly longer, I believe. <laughs> longer. <laughs> <laughs> so the E50 hull was to be longer than the Panther and practically identi- identical to the Tiger II in dimensions, except for the upper and lower glacis plate. Um, so these were to be armed with either a 75 or an 88 as well. And this one, you can see it's got it's got slightly different... Uh, suspension design to the E25. Oh, yeah. It's got the overlapping, but that it's not full overlapping. They, they're in pairs. It's it almost like, like bogies. 50% of the bogies off. Yeah. Yeah. That must not have been good for the ride. Well, to if make it... never been built. To make them quicker and quicker, easier, and cheaper to produce, this wasn't actually torsion bar. I'm just changing everything now. This one wasn't torsion bar. 
It was to be proposed with a conical spring system replacing the torsion bar system, which needed a special steel alloy. So this one is just... It's kind of like the uh, the Panther and the King Tiger had a kid, and they were very cheap. <laughs> oh, so is the suspension kind of like on the Ferdinands? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I believe Porsche had quite a bit to do with the design of, that the, make sense. of the E-Series. Yeah, it definitely looks like it. <laughs> <laughs> so this one was to be powered with an improved Maybach HL234 engine which had about 900 horsepower so this maximum speed was supposed to be around 60 kilometers an hour 60 kilometers an hour with worse suspension and a, he- and a heavy enough vehicle this is not fun Germans are always uh, silly in the past But yeah, so you can see it, it It definitely got that sort of panther look, especially with the turret. Um, and it looks like the mantlet itself looks very similar to a l- very, very late panther F or the proposed panther two. Um, yeah, isn't there a surviving turret from the panther two program? And it looks a whole lot like that, like a different mantlet, but yeah. the actual design is very similar. Yeah, and at this stage of the war, so this was, uh, the E50 was supposed to be coming out around the end of the war. So would it, they would have started equipping it with this, um, it was a night vision set. The Germans had oh, been yeah, started to develop night vision. Stuff. Yeah, so they just started to develop infrared and stuff. So the standard Panzer E50 would have been equipped with that as well. I wonder how useful that would have been, because I remember that, you know, the, on those Hanameg half-tracks, the uh, 251s? Yep. They developed a version of that with a giant infrared spotlight, basically, that they could use in conjunction with the tanks so that the tank commanders could actually see what they were looking at at night. So I wonder how like strong these would have been on their own. Hmm. Yeah. I don't... The ones the Germans were putting up in development, I don't think you could see past, like, 250 meters, I think. Which in a tank is point blank. Yeah. Don't don't quote me on that, but I think that's what I remember hearing from the documentary. Which is basically useless on yeah. the tank. So the E50 was to replace both the Panther and Tiger One. So it's filling that sort of medium to heavy role. Ooh. Oh look at a King Tiger tank. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> so this is the standard Panzer E seventy five. No 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 no. That that's a King Tiger. <laughs> This was the replacement of the Tiger II and Jagd Tiger. Boo! The Jagd Tiger doesn't need replacing. <laughs> so this was intended to be the standard heavy tank. So it would have been built on the same produ- production lines as the E50 for ease of manufacture as the two vehicles were to share many components, including the same Maybach HL234 engine. The E75 would have had much thicker armor, however, and in fact, compared with the Tiger II, the E75 had improved hull, uh, hull armor all round. And as the name indicates, E75 puts this one as the 75 to 100 ton class of tank. Now, this reduced the speed to about 40 kilometers an hour, as opposed to the E50, which could make up to 60. 
So to offset the increased weight, the bogeys were spaced differently than on the E50, with an added with a pair added on each side. Um, what this did was it did give it a slightly improved track to ground contact length. Basically, it was better off road. Uh, according to some sources, the similarities between the E50 and the E75 went further. They were to be equipped with the same turret and 88mm L71 or L100, along with optical rangefinder for increased long-range accuracy. Um, so there, was, there are other sources that say that it was supposed to be fitted with the Tiger II turret. Um, and could have been fitted with a 105 millimeter, which we can see here in the, uh, for those who are listening and not watching, we have a diagram of an E75 equipped with the Tiger II turret and a 105 millimeter cannon in it. That thing looks like it would absolutely dominate on the battlefield. Well, having something like a stereoscopic rangefinder, as I mean, you see in the photos here, how it's got, you know, on the sides of the turret, there are the two bulges, right? Those are uh, for this. Shut the fuck up, Ezra. <laughs> behave, Ezra, behave. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to talk about math and all I can think of. So you have the stereoscopic rangefinder, and that was the technology that was pretty developed for anti-aircraft gun rangefinding, but not so much for tanks, because they couldn't figure out a way to fit the bulge into the turret. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that was intentional. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't see it up here on American tanks until, oh, geez. Um, well, really, until right before the Korean War, so like quite a few years after. Yeah, so dude, American tanks were late bloomers. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that the Germans were getting these bulges this early, <laughs> it's pretty interesting to see. All right, we gotta stop before this, is, this turns into the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, <sighs> Callum, please take the reins for God's sake. <laughs> All right, well, we'll move on to probably what is the most well known of the E series, the super tank, the E one hundred. So the E one hundred was basically a simplified mouse. It was a slightly, I believe it was slightly lighter. Uh, although uh, I say I'm that looking this up right now, this has a weight of 123 ton. That's still a big bitch. Hence the E100. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it's designed to actually be the replacement for the mouse, and they only ever got a prototype of the mouse. The British did capture a fully made hull for the E100 which they uh, tested for evaluation and whatnot, and then did the heinous thing of scrapping it. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture right now. Apparently, it wasn't fully complete. Uh, the road wheels and road wheel arms were mounted, but not the springs. That thing still would have weighed, like, 50 ton, at oh, least. Oh, for sure. Like, it, it's just That's just a massive lump of meal. It had a ground pressure of 20.65 PSI. Oh, that's heavy. Yeah. That's not going <laughs> over any bridges. No. <laughs> Don't so, drive it on the fucking wet ground 180, either. oh god, 180 tons. Jesus. So, during early, early development of the mouse, um, they used an E100 turret. 
and then it was converted to the mouse two turret. So there's there's a lot of chopping and changing of turrets. Um, I mean, we can see here, you can see about three different turret designs just in our di in our designs alone in our diagrams. So it would have housed the 128 millimeter KWK44 L55. Jesus, the Germans really know how to name stuff. Oh yeah. So it would have had the 128 millimeter cannon in it with a 75mm as a coaxial. And there are two different designs on whether it was to the side of the turret or on top of the uh, 128. All depends on which company designed it. Now, there was a proposal to fit a 15cm cannon onto the E100. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, which is overkill. And... There were reports during this. Um, there were reports that the 150 could be mounted, or get this, a 170 millimeter cannon. Oh, you're kidding! No. Oh. Yeah. Really? Jeez. Uh, these would have only been used as assault weapons, so basically turned into Yagged E100s and stuff like that. But there were there were proposals for bigger and bigger guns. I've just found some stats as well. So for armor, the frontal armor had 200 millimeters of steel at 60 degrees. Wow. Yeah, I'm sorry. Even the Firefly is going to struggle mightily against that. Yeah. The hull wow. had 120. Uh, the sides had 120. The rear had 150 mil. Sloped at 30. Even the rear? Yep. The top of the hull had 40 sloped at 90 degrees. Which, you know, it's lying flat, so of course it would be. The bottom of the hull had 80. Had 80 millimeters. Now the turret, the front of the turret had 200 mil sloped at 30. So you're trying to get through the cheeks, you'd struggle. Uh, sides had 80, rear had 150, and the roof had 40 again. So the only real thing you could take this out was with an aircraft. Yeah, you need to have the RAF do like a, an airstrike on this thing. Mm. <laughs> so would I be like correct in guessing that the E100 and Mouse kind of had the same thing going on as the King Tiger Henschel and King Tiger Porsche? Like both companies were competing... Uh, to get one of their designs picked, um, somewhat it was the mouse was being designed, but they wanted to turn in everything into the standard, the standardized, uh, which meant that the E one hundred would share components with the fifty and seventy five as well. Um, huh. So it was mouse was going to was being developed, developed, and then it was going to be cancelled in favor for the E one hundred. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So to power this beast of steel it was to be it was to have the maybach hl230 v12 gasoline with about 700 horsepower um theoretically it could be also uh powered with an experimental fuel injected hl234 developing 900 horsepower but that never went anywhere yeah fuel injection at that point would be pretty hard to pull off Especially on, like, that kind of scale. Yeah. Wow. 
So guys, I, I have like this premonition. If this thing had been built, it wouldn't move very fast. I don't know, it's just like a, a not at all. I'm getting <laughs> uh, max speed over the road 23, 23 kilometers an hour. Jesus. Oh, I can, I ride, when I'm riding to uh, work, I ride faster than that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's up going uphill. <laughs> Jeez. So we'll just go through a few of the lesser known designs that they also went through. So one was called the Buffle APC. Oh my god, it's a BMP one. <laughs> oh, they made the BMP one. <laughs> <laughs> So Does that mean the BMP-1 was made by the Nazis? <laughs> I guess so. As for, does that not look a bit like a martyr to you? It really does. Wow. So, what from what I can see, what was known as the Buffalo APC was to be on the E-50s um, chassis, as you can see by the suspension. And what's... There's no real... Uh, we're only going by diagrams here. What do you reckon the cannon on that would be? Um, would that be one of the 30 mil or a 50? It looks I like think a 30. 30. Really? 50. It looks like a 50 because it looks yeah. like the uh, turret off of a Puma. Yeah. Oh, good point. I thought the Puma had a 37. Um, well, I think the Puma... I think the one we're thinking of, like, you know, the eight-wheeler one with the long gun turret. That's a 50. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, go to the next one. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Go back, go back. Uh, is that a little MG turret on the rear? That looks like a yes. little MG turret. Yes, that is it's so got cool. an MG on the rear. Where? Oh my so, god, they've got pistol. They've got yeah, so was firing it, ports. It's was a Bradley. It APC? Yeah. <laughs> it's a Bradley. It's a, more, <laughs> it's a more effective Bradley. Oh my god. Oh my fucking god. There's no way. Take, you know, do you know that music that was from the Bradley commercial? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> over the slide, please. I'll say what I can do. <laughs> uh, oh god. Then we have a Panzer Jaeger E50 based on the um, E50 chassis. So this was to have a 128mm and it's. Yeah, it's basically the tank destroyer version of the E50. Those these muzzle brakes are very interesting. Yeah, they kind of remind me of modern Japanese. It's more of like a grill type. It's not like a, a traditional muzzle brake. It's I'm I'm curious how well this would have worked. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Definitely. It's definitely a weird one. Like a trash can. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, next one. So these, these are cameras. for the. Uh, these, these are the E. Can't be the scale, can they? No idea, because this is the E one hundred and the E seventy five Panzer Jaegers. So it seems like the uh, the E one hundred Panzer Jaeger has a one seventy five, and it's uh, the E and that. Panzer Jaeger E75 has the 128mm on it. These designs do look a little bit out of scale, but... Um, yeah, they have the same amount of road wheels. So I'm this guessing looks like something that uh, Ezra would draw as a five-year-old in our class. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I love stags! <laughs> <laughs> no, it looks like a Jag Panther, not a stug. 
Sorry, dude, you're not getting out of this one that easily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and should we go next? So oh, was, no. So there was one where the there was fuck? a... What was called the E90, which is basically an E25. He's happy a, to see you. But a 175mm <laughs> cannon in it. Um, There's no way that's 75. Oh, God. So that's a oh, 175. One, I'm sorry, I misheard you. My bad. Yeah. Uh, this one is a little bit out there, um, but I found that on the same website as everything else. So I'm just putting it in there because, you know, all of these were barely even blueprinted, but there's records of it. So we're going to record it. I mean, that barrel's a little out there. Yeah. I mean, could you bet? It's not a big tank to begin with. A bit, uh, 175 going off in there would just be horrendous. Yeah. Now, none of these ever left the uh, napkin drawing stage, eh? Pretty much. Thank God, because this is the most ridiculous stuff <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> this this one is, like, the most ridiculous so far, in my opinion. Like, the E50, I think it was. Like, the, 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 the fucking King Tiger Panther mix. That, I think, would have been an actually good vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think there's a couple more after this one. All right. It just gets yep. worse. Yeah. Oh, so um, there was one designed as a Yags Tiger 2. So it looks a bit like a Yag Tiger and a Yag Panther got together. Yeah. And this was to mount a 150 millimeter cannon on it. Uh, but one overriding thing you'll notice is all these designs do look very similar to each other. And that was the idea of the um, E-Series was everything was standardized and basically all the same and that was just to help with production maintenance quality stuff like that that was the main reason and is there oh. any more they, oh I, my just they get more and more pixelated the more and more ridiculous they get yeah yeah so there was one for a Jag panther 2 which is basically the panzer Ye panzer wagon e50 with a 128 millimeter cannon on it um, yeah, all of these designs get pretty ridiculous. Um, sorry if you're an audio-only audio only listener. This one is... You need to go to the YouTube one and see these designs. They are just so out there. It's Horrendous. ridiculous. They, yeah. And I think there might be one more. I will say, uh, there are 35th scale models of these tanks. Oh, yeah. They exist. We, we'll get... And we're up to that well, now. There you go. Oh, Speaking of which... God. Okay, I would get the E50. Not going to lie. I would get the E50. I've got so, a feeling like Trumpeter likes this stuff. Yeah, basically every model that I found is from Trumpeter with these series. I'm not surprised. So we've got an E10, an E50, E75, E25. All looking, you know, pretty good. Hmm. And there's still a few more. Oh, they get just get bigger. Yep. They have, oh, Trumpeter has two models of the E100. You have the um, standard turret, and then you have the Krupp turret, which has the 75mm mounted above the 128. I believe, no. Is that the 128 or the 150? Just looking at the muzzle brake. I think that's a 150? I'm sorry, but, like, I just keep looking at the 
the the Yod Panzer E100 and its backdrop, and when on God's green earth are you going to need that much firepower in a fucking city? <laughs> He's like, two blocks away. <laughs> the T34 comes around the corner and it literally hits the barrel. Just <laughs> right into it. And I think there's, um, I think the next slide I did, there was some, oh yeah, there was some yeah. efforts, there was some efforts for Ooh, a, um, a stug. <laughs> <laughs> there's some efforts to turn them into flak panzers as well. So the E50, 75 and the, uh, there was one for an, I know there was one for an E100, but I can't find any pictures of it. And those were, that was to have a twin mounted 88 millimeter cannon turret. See if only uh, if only the Germans had Trumpeter's design team on hand, <laughs> then they would have known what to do. But yeah, so the e, the E series. Uh, I mean, the 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 idea of it of standardizing all your armor, making it all cheaper, um, easier to produce, easier to maintain, all of that. In theory. Is a very good idea. I mean, considering you look at, say, the Americans during the war were, were probably the best at it with the Sherman because the Sherman came out in how many variants and all that, but you could go from a Sherman M4, M4A1, M4A2 and all that, and you could switch out a lot of a lot of the parts, especially like the bogey systems and whatnot until you get to the later ones. Oh, yeah. So, you know, sh maintenance on Shermans were, was dead simple. You could take any random Sherman, cannibalize it, and you could use parts from it, whereas the uh, the Germans couldn't. You, know, you can't take parts from a Panther and use it in a Panzer IV. So. Yeah, this this is all very, like, it all seems very rushed. I don't know if that comes across any of these designs to you guys, but it all looks very, like, yeah, they definitely came up with this, like, after people had already landed on Normandy. 100%. Yeah. Well, 100%. a lot of these designs... Um, Date back to 1942. Really? You're yep. kidding me. Yeah, they were I believe of stuff that was this heavy in 1942. Jesus. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, so that is the uh, the E series of tanks. I doubt you guys learnt anything, but um... <laughs> well, we yeah. put a few Actually, jokes in there. We got a few jokes, and I actually learned some stuff. I learned I, I want to. I learned some stuff too. Yeah. Well done, Cal. Yeah, good job. Thing. Honestly, dude, that was really good. Well, we have a segment on this podcast called "A Hill to the Die On," and one of, basically one of us comes on with a really bad take, and we get crucified for it. Everyone walks away and has an amazing time. So, this week we've got Ezra. Yes. Okay. So, a few people on the podcast, they shall go unnamed, think the F-18 is a ugly, disgusting aircraft. I am here to, let's say, educate them on their misconceptions. Just and like if, you educate us on how the Stug is the best fucking piece of armor in the world. Nah, I'm with Ezra on this one, man. I, I can't even argue this point. I don't even know what we're talking about. Uh, let's see here. The one on the left looks better. I actually built that one, and uh, Ezra, he you did. got that kit too. I do have that kit. You do, yes. Is that the one we're rooting for? Uh, yes, I think we should all go back to paying modern jets as they were in World War II. I think it would make them a lot more identifiable. Yeah. And I just want to say, I 
I thought that the F-18 was an ugly aircraft as well. Until I started seeing mucked up and dirty CF-18s. I'm like, oh, this is cool. And then I watched Top Gun Maverick, and pow! I now think the F-18 is the best aircraft ever. Uh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, the Canadian CF-18s in Iraq were the only aircraft I've ever seen that have more weathering than an actual tank. This is true. <laughs> you got the chipping and everything. Oh, God. Uh, a thousand different shades of, like, streaking. <laughs> got mud. Yeah, I mean, we don't take care of our vehicles. <laughs> we don't PCM every Monday. <laughs> I mean, look at that CF-18 on the right. Isn't that the... 100... The top, right? Yeah, That's in the, in the red. 150, and we the have 150, right. 2017. And then, after the airship wasn't sent back to its unit... Still in its uh, it was color sent scheme. back to its unit in that in those colors. Yeah, so there's I, pictures I, of it loaded up with bombs. I was going to say I'm pretty sure that unit was in Operation Impact, which was the Canadian airstrike campaign against ISIS. Yep, that's pretty I, good. I just say imagine imagine this being what takes you out. <laughs> I wouldn't be mad. I, I'd be kind of happy about that. Of all the all the things in this world that could kill me, this is what does. I'm I'm okay with that. Slow it up with like the guy's drinking Tim Hortons as he does it. <laughs> then when he the missile still- hits, all you all you hear is "Sorry." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely a cool color scheme. And to be fair, to the Americans' credit, some uh, some Navy F-18s have cool color schemes. I don't nah, know if that's just the angle that the photo is taking at, but the ones in the center right look really nice. Yeah. Yeah. The one on center right is a CF-18, and then the one on the center left is a USMC-E, I think. <laughs> I can't say that, dude. <laughs> You're team killing. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Not my team so, anymore. So, Ezra, now that you're um, like fully loaded up on FA-18s, what is the difference between an FA-18 and a CF-18? Okay. There is a fake canopy painted on the bottom. That's for one. To, you know, kind of confuse someone in a dogfight. Th- that's on the CF-18, I should point out. Right. And though it's weird, some U.S. aircraft have them as well. On the Warthog for some reason. I don't know why. Well, yeah, because when the Warthog is doing dogfighting with uh, flankers. <laughs> I want to see that now. And I think it has some a few other little modifications. Nothing huge, though. I think right. mostly it's uh, avionics, really. Right. Yeah. That's just about it, though. Really, it's just an F-18. Like, if you're making a model of it, F-18 model will do just fine. Yep. Right. Gotcha. <coughs> I will say I, this. Sorry, go ahead. I expected more of a fight. I will say no, this. it's just a nice bird. I think the... I think where a lot of people get, like, the whole, you know, modern jets are not interesting looking 
is not so much the actual jet itself, it's the paint scheme, because they're always in gray. And don't get me wrong, sometimes the gray looks very nice. It's like, a reason people in it. Chicago are depressed, okay? <laughs> <laughs> they just need to start painting modern jets in colorful camouflage. That's it. Or, or take it back to uh, the victory days. God damn it. Yes. Or just spray your F-18 in Kark Tan. That only no, colorful. No, 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 no. I take it back. No colorful camouflage. Gray is perfect. <laughs> take it back. Take it back. Kark Gray. Days. Uh, I'm going to Kark you, okay? <laughs> I'm going to send you to Kark Eve. <laughs> We're back to the death threats. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. As everything should be. Balance is being restored to the world. <laughs> Well, I, w- I do like that little drawing of the Jolly Rogers F-18. It's not anime, though, Greg. You can't say anything. It's not anime, though, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a uh, short and sweet hill to climb on. It was. Yeah. No one died. There was no contacts. Like, nope. It was good. He reached his objective. Alright, so what have we been working on, guys? Ooh, oh, alright. I wonder yes. if you've done this. Hey, hey, where's my words? My words. Who took them off? <laughs> Wait, what? I didn't it touch is. it. I didn't, I touch, didn't it. touch it. Re- refresh it, refresh it. Ah, oh, fucker, alright. Oh, no. <laughs> refresh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh yes! Who added that? Oh, I don't know. Who could that, that have been? <laughs> oh no! It totally wasn't Greg. Not the guy who has to redo the slides. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So here. <laughs> Here's my completed, finally, T-72S, depicting uh, Russian conscripts in the Dontesk region of Ukraine. Behold, it's abandoned. Those rugs, man. Those look amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I made uh, some rugs. Or I printed those off. Got some, uh, used some clear sprue and made some water bottles. Got an abandoned jacket in the commander's cupola. A map nice. of the uh, eastern side of Ukraine. Uh, all sorts of little gems hidden about. Some smoking or uh, some cigarette cartons and whatnot. Super fun to build. You better win something with this tomorrow. Uh, I don't think I'll win anything, but it would be cool. Definitely. I don't know. I'd vote, I'd vote for the Babushka carpet. Oh, yeah. Same here. <laughs> Well, thank you, gentlemen. This is going to be everyone at the thing tour. They're going to be like, oh, that looks tits, man. I don't know what that... <laughs> no one else but me says that, and, and now you guys do, which is fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's slowly, we're slowly absorbing your vocabulary. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm totally down for that. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's fucking tits, man. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. All right, I got one more. All right. 
to caveat off of what I was just talking about, the, the uh, finally, the Russia-Ukraine war diorama is complete. I got final pictures taken. I'll be posting those probably sometime tonight or tomorrow. But uh, you can kind of see there on the left center, there's some books. Those are strung out throughout the diorama uh, on the tank, in the house, and on the ground. Top center is uh, the new business cards. So I'm taking two of each. The MMP business cards that Dennis was such a sweetheart to make. And then my own for my own YouTube channel. And then Woo. the top right is the custom water bottles I made. I had a blast doing those. Those look so good. Thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, that's that. Just kind of overview the the build. And if you'd like to check this out, go to my YouTube channel, Greg's Diorama Scale Models. Follow him. You'll see a Russian flag burning in the streets. Yay. Woohoo. <laughs> and there was Slava great rejoicing. <laughs> yeah, who's next? Ah. Oh, words. Crap. Cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> Australia is the new America. Okay. Uh, here's my 135th scale Vargas... 3D printed Bob Semple tank, and you can that see it. Oh, so good! That you can does. see it here, left to right. My work in progress picks. I did this in three days. You did that. That was very interesting. Watching you build, prime paint and weather. It was nice. Thank you. It honestly might have my most restrained weathering ever, but probably my best paint job. I don't know, I think the weathering looks pretty good considering like it wasn't a vehicle that saw combat or anything. Yeah, I just yeah, I tried honestly. to go with some chipping on the corners just to break up how flat they look. And then you'll see on the next slide how the mud how light it is. And that was simply done with mixing up a mix of actual dirt, some PVA glue, smearing it on there. And then covering it with pigments and some AK enamels. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, it looks pretty good, bro. Thank you. And then you can see the scratches on the side on the left picture better. Yeah, the scratches are actually my favorite part. How'd you do those? Just with a brush. Just kind of just painting it on? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, dude. Thank you. All right, and my second three-day project, my weasel, painted in one day. Uh, the Tacom kit was amazing. I only added two details, and go buy one. It's so cool. I love, I know, Ezra, you and I were talking about it earlier, the, all the little details, like the, the tape on the lens up there, the... The little straps and whatnot, dude. You did a great job. Thanks. It was my first time making actual buckles, and I think it turned out pretty well. I would say so as well. And then, if you'll go to the next slide. Wow. I think oh, it really does put the, the whole thing in perspective, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, for oh, sure. Yeah. You can see, like, probably the hardest part, in my opinion, was trying to paint the yellow stripes for the tow missiles. 
And why are those? Those aren't decals, eh? You had to, like, mask it off? Oh, yeah. No, I hand-painted it. Oh, okay. Jesus, you yeah. make my hand-painting look like shit. <laughs> it How the hell do you do long. this in three days? You get COVID? Yeah. <laughs> he, at this point, he's getting it intentionally just so he has time to work on it. Honestly. Getting COVID, drinking, like, six vitamin waters a day, huffing lacquer thitter. That one, I believe. <laughs> but yeah, at first I wasn't sure if painting the toe missiles olive drab was correct, but apparently it is. Yeah, they look almost brown compared to the rest of the weasel. Yeah. I mean, and that's... And the green on the weasel looks olive drab. Like... Yeah. I just gave it a filter of bright green, so it's it's brightened it up a bit. It definitely looks more NATO greeny. But yeah, tomorrow I'm probably going to have to start painting the tracks. And I don't look forward to that. I mean, building the tracks. Oh. Four pieces to a link. Oh, fuck that. And how many links are there on each side, Ezra? I think 86. Oh, fine. That sounds yeah, like yeah. fun. Ah. <sighs> Ezra, if if you need to talk to somebody, buddy, let me know. Okay, yeah, thank we, we you. Need to have, we need to start like on our Discord, like a, a, a track building hotline. Like if you just get overwhelmed by the tracks, you like call us. <laughs> <laughs> you get Greg on the call with you. He, te- he speaks to you with like a nice soothing tone. It's okay. It's only eighty six links per side. <laughs> hey, hey, they'll they'll be there tomorrow, buddy. Okay, don't worry about it. <laughs> Oh, man. Awesome work, guys. Yeah, thank you. And you'll see I actually used the figure. Yeah. Yes, we told you. It would look great. I've come to realize he does look great. Thank you you for your help. It makes it flow really well. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Oh, Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Okay, so against my better judgment, I bought a Gundam kit uh, last week. Um, partially because that universal carrier is just kicking my ass. Like I, I, I don't, I can't do it, man. Too much detail. Um, hey, you just come, have to the, come to the hotline. Okay. I'll talk to you. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to need that hotline after this. <laughs> so yeah, I bought one of those like newfangled, one of them <laughs> fancy Bandai kits. <laughs> They're uh, Japanese. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, but I tried it out. Like, I don't know what this robot's supposed to be in, like, the animes or whatever, but I painted it as, like, a uh, Japanese Marine self-defense force robot. Like, something you might see, like, I don't know, patrolling an island or something like that. But, yeah. So I assembled it. I used Mr. Surfacer. You can kind of see it in some of these photos to give it, like, a kind of a semi-cast texture. Just to add some visual detail and fill in oh, some yeah. of the seam lines. Um. They, it, it did snap together like you didn't need to glue it, but I glued it anyways, um, leaving the, all the joints poseable still. And I gave it like uh, I used Mr. Hobby Paints on this, and all of the decals for it, not stickers, but rather decals, are I salvaged them from like a bunch of Japanese kits for like tanks and aircraft I've had over the over the uh, years. But yeah, that's, that's it. So cool. I, I really liked painting the helmet actually. That was pretty fun. Yeah, the helmet's the best looking part. Oh, thank you. Yeah, but you know, just something kind of different, you know. It was nice Can't believe I'm going to say this, but Dennis, you're a Gundam. 
Gundam looks really fucking tits. <laughs> Aw, Oh, you know what you I gotta go throw up now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, since you already went into the cursed Gundam region, you have to make a diorama with it fighting Godzilla. Pacific Rim gonna, style. I was actually going to do a diorama for it, like just something very basic, like more of a base than anything. Yeah. I'm going to like make um, some sand and some water on it, maybe a few little tropical plants. Nah, bro, like, make it difficult. Have him walking into the ocean off of a port. Yeah, well, like, how big is that. how big is this supposed to be? So well, you see the uh, you see the uh, kind of the Tamiya Xtrithin bottle behind them. Yeah. So I'd say maybe like two and a half. No, no, three Xtrithin bottles high. I mean, like what scale? Uh, it's one to one forty four scale. Okay. Yeah. So you could probably have it fighting Godzilla, and it would look cool. Yeah, that would be, that would actually be kind of cool. Oh dang. No, 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 no. I, I can't do that. You're going to put too many ideas in my mind, Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I bought it um, with the intention of like, I know that it's, they're not really scale models, but I wanted to build it as I would a scale model. I mean, according to someone you know it is. Yes, but you know, you're going to have to cut that. Nah, it's all right. A lot of people I know think that they're scale models and they're all wrong. <laughs> yeah. Legos are scale models. <laughs> Go, go, leave the Discord, go look at yourself in the mirror and think about what you've done, come back to the Discord, and then we can talk. It'll stay, though, if you, if they, you paint them like tanks, they are awesome. I like, I actually like doing it, you know, it's pretty cool. Yeah. You too, Dennis. All right, fine, fair enough, I'll leave now. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, the other Oh, so I'm it's okay like, if I leave. Yes. Yes, leave. <laughs> Everyone, this is my last my last episode on the podcast. I shall be this resigning. Is, uh, this is a uh, femboy actual one uh, eight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the other thing I've been working on is uh, the Arma Hobby one seventy two scale Hurricane Mark two. Um, I'm doing it as a night fighter, and I actually have a photo on the next slide. I'll just show you guys what the scheme I'm doing it in. So the actual scheme that I'm doing is here the JXC scheme. But this is going to kind of be what it looks like after it's all panned up, right? Oh, that looks hopefully. tits. Yeah, I know. It does look tits, right? Are you are you <laughs> going to try and replicate that exhaust um, staining? Well, come on, Callum. Would it really be me if I didn't try to do heat, heat uh, stains on my model? <laughs> Just making I've sure. Got, yeah, I've got the uh, Tamiya paints for it. I'm going to give it a shot. We'll see what happens. Um, but yeah. But yeah, so basically I'm just at the stage now where it's like the main assembly's done, now I'm adding all the fiddly bits to it. And you drilled out your gun barrels, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Picture proof right now. <laughs> Maybe later. Maybe later. Anyways, okay, uh, okay, okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, so this is what I'm doing. So this is a 16th scale of a German machine gunner in winter uniform. So this will be the first time I try and paint a figure this big, so I might need some tips from Ezra. Oh, this big, you say? <laughs> um, I think but, I'm off well. So this one I'm going to be filming as part of a YouTube uh, video. So I've just pre-assembled them because that was a bit, it's a bit boring. I didn't want to show that. So the painting and painting and stuff is what I'm going to be actually filming. 
and then I'm going to make a base for him. So I've got a I've got an idea for the base because with the kit it comes with a an MP40 uh, submachine gun, and I kind of want to incorporate that because it's not going to be often I have a 16th scale anything. So I want to use it. So the idea I've got for the base is he's going to be it's going to be a winter scene, snow, all of that, and then I'm going to make make a uh, a cross. Uh, yeah, make a make a cross for you know someone buried there, and then sling the MP40 around it. Oh, that's a good idea. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of you know having the rifle upside down with the bayonet and helmet, it's just going to be a a wooden cross with the the uh, owners the owner of the MP40. Uh, slung around it yeah but this one's going to be an upcoming probably a two-part two-part video maybe not sure haven't decided but i plan to do the whole zenithal lighting and stuff like that with it so yeah cool very, very nice. nice dude that's gonna be awesome yeah i'm i can't wait to do this one so just showing off the the pose that he's got and the the 16th scale MG42, which is pretty nice kit, I gotta say. But yeah, that's that's my idea. Beauty. Yeah. Well, there we go. I have a feeling this is going to become a recurring segment. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on how well we do it. Okay, so Fred what advice do you have to people who are thinking of getting into scale modeling? What we got? First well, thing first, you need to love red pandas. Yes. Yeah. yeah so first, adopt one. Yeah. yeah. So I thought about this one because um, I I've got a I've got someone at my work called Doris. I, I call her Super Fan Doris because she's constantly hounding me about the videos modeling. She's the reason I bring my models into the office to shout show out everyone. Shout out to Doris. I was about to say shout out yeah. to Superfan Doris, friend of the show. Yeah, yeah. So, and she recently came up to me and said she wanted to, um, she and her boyfriend wanted to try out building a model. And she said, what can, what advice can I give? And I thought, well, um, <laughs> what, what sort of advice do you give someone who's brand new, you know, don't, doesn't know the first thing about modeling? Um, especially for people our age where we don't have a lot of money or anything like that. So like, um, Dennis, I'll pose the question to you. Someone walks into your store and has never touched a model before and asks, how can you help me? What, what would you do? Well, the first thing I think you need to do if you're thinking of getting into scale modeling is to realize that there are sort of a, a few categories of it, right? So you've got your ship models, you've got your car models, you've got your aircraft models, your tank models. So it's the four. Superior. Models, right? <laughs> so you have to think to yourself, each like category has things that make it good. It has its pros and cons, right? And it's also what you're interested in. So I say to people, like, if you're interested in something specific, go there and then we can like figure out a beginner kit from there. But if you don't really know like if you're not really interested in anything particular, go with tanks, right? Because with tanks, you don't have to worry about like getting a really nice, perfect, shiny finish like you do on cars. You don't need to worry about really tiny detail parts like on ships, on aircraft. Like uh, you don't have to worry about you know the seam lines and filling gaps and all that. Canopies. You can kind of focus on just putting plastic together and then you know covering it in mud, right? 
it's a lot much less like it's a lot lower intensity right there. don't over weather it <laughs> so i'd say that's a good place to start you'll figure that out and probably have anywhere from 50 to 100 dollars in your local currency ready to go right depending on how much you like it yeah and like what's what sort of scale do you reckon um See, you would you would think it would be thirty five, right? You'd think thirty fifth scale because that's where all the mo- all the kits are from, right? But say you're getting into tanks, I would actually say forty eight scale, and the reason for that is that with forty eight scale, most hobby stores, right, offer more or less just Tamiya. Tamiya is one the forty eight scale range. Um, maybe some of the hobby boss stuff, right? Um, the thing is that the Tamiya kits are all fairly recent, so they. All, every single one of them has link and length tracks that fit together very easily, right? Like they're for a beginner, they might be a little bit challenging, but there's something if you follow the instructions, you will be completely fine, right? They've you can't got, fuck it up. You, exactly. The kit falls together. There will never be any like gaps or anything like that. The detail will be very good, right? You'll have things like cast texture, weld beads, all of that. And at the end of the day, they're big enough that you can have fun painting it and you can actually like hold it in your hands and appreciate it. But it's not so big that's like gonna be a big time suck, right? So if you set aside like a couple of hours, you can build it, right? You can build it, it will be very easy, no no fuss, and then you can have you know take time and figure out if you'll actually enjoy it or not. So it's a forty eighth skill. It's for the cost you get, you get the best value and probably the best beginning experience. Yeah, I mostly agree with that. I mean, there's also the old Tamiya Sherman, and I know you're going to immediately jump on me for this, but the old Tamiya Stug 3s. They're, oh, they're good. Yeah. That was one they, of the first models I built. Was actually this, I think it was a Stug 4, actually, but yeah. Ah, uh, the less superior variant. <laughs> yeah. Like, they don't have many parts. It has good detail. Mm. And if you wanted to go 30, 35th for your first time, I would suggest the Walker, the Tamiya Walker Bulldog, the M41. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's almost like that, a rite of passage now. Almost everyone who's in, getting into the hobby does that. Yeah. Yeah, honestly. That, the kit just falls together. Like, I haven't built it myself. I, got, I know people who have uh, built them, and they're just, they're really easy together to put together. Like, I've seen them in my hobby store, and they're the cheapest. They're like 40 bucks. Yeah. You know, whereas the, then it's like, you look at the next one and it's about 70, 80 bucks. Like we might on this podcast sound like we're Tamiya simps. And even though we are, there is like, a not this, mm. um, like there, it is true that Tamiya kids do generally go together very easily. Their instructions are easy for beginners to understand. Like it, if you want to get started, it's definitely worth at least seeing if you like any of the Tamiya kids subjects before you say move on to other manufacturers yeah like the last thing you want to do is say give someone a mini art or a tech on kit as oh, first yeah, time and say have fun interior. yep yeah i mean greg you you're like this you wouldn't know it looking at your stuff right your your models are so amazing but you're, you're fairly new into this like do you have anything you think you'd rather have done differently or maybe something you liked that you did as a beginner <sighs> uh honestly so like every time i've heard you guys talk about 1 to 48 scale armor how that should be like the beginners like go to i kind of cringe because i immediately shoot back to my first 148 armor which was the 
Atlantis Pershing. Oh. And, yeah. So every time I think of 1 to 48 armor, I just kind of cringe. I'm like, Ugh. you know. <laughs> but, however, uh, no, y'all make really good points. But if I, if I were to go back and do anything different, I would probably be more patient, honestly. Um, it's always fun to experiment on your own. Like, I think my very first 1 to 35 build was the Tamiya T62. That was my okay. first uh, first Chechen War diorama I did. And I used a spray can. Uh, I used acrylic paint, not the proper way, for mud and for chipping. And it was awful. It was fucking horrendous. But I wanted to get it done that day. Uh just so I could know what it feels like to have my own completed dio, and uh, it was it was a good feeling at the time. I was like, "Fuck yeah, this is tits!" Like I'm I'm do, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm getting into the hobby. But looking back, like I've I've scrapped that dio since, right? Because it's like, well, it's not good. It's taking up you know space. Uh, but have as much patience as you can, but have fun. Right, don't have too much patience where it gets boring, mundane, and you just quit halfway through. Yeah, like um, when I first got back into it, I started with a seventy. Uh, what's that stupid scale F FX do? Seventy six scale. Yep. Yeah, seventy six. Yeah, so I did that. It was the Cromwell, and that's what started it. And I thought, well. It's a bit small for my liking. I'm not good with, you know, really small. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> really? Why do you have to remind me what she said? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so I, was, so I, I hadn't really even, um, I didn't even know about 35th scale, to be honest. Like, uh, when I was younger, I'd ever only ever done 72nd scale aircraft. I'd never actually done a tank, except for a, a Mark One. But that was like, I think it was, what? six or something i barely remember making it the only bit i remember is my dad helping me try and put the tracks on and i learned a lot of curse words that day uh trying to watch him put it get it to stick and hold together typical dad moment were they yeah. rubber bands? um no oh no they weren't uh they were oh maybe no i think it was actually i can't remember I was gonna say curse words while trying to stick them together. That sounds like airfix rubber band tracks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so then my first thirty fifth scale, I bought for forty bucks. It was the Tamiya KV one B. That's that's actually a really good kit. I mean, I hadn't worked on anything that large scale, and I didn't actually know what the hell I was doing. To be honest. Um, I was just kind of making it up as I was going, so I, I built it. And when I came to, when it came to painting it, um, like I just brush painted it with some humbrol enamels, and that's and then I tried to quote unquote weather it. Um, and the way I did that is I've been watching a lot of Adam Savage's tested uh, videos. Oh no! And yeah, you could probably see where this is going. Um, and the way he was doing stuff on plastic and all that is, you know, slapping a load of paint on, then rubbing it off, and then, you know, whatever's left and whatnot. So I tried doing that with some incredibly thinned out acrylic paint, uh, black paint. And um, it, it, it didn't really work. <laughs> it didn't work out. I just ended up with these, um, 
like slightly darker black green patches all over the tank but um so i actually ended up coming back to it about three months later after i'd learned some more and had the proper stuff and panel lined it and cleaned it up a bit but yeah my that was my first one it was i've still still got it. i've kept everything i've made you know but yeah yeah that was my first uh, 35th scale experience sounds like a very interesting one yeah now what about tools would you guys recommend that people go and buy uh sprue cutters like out of oh, the gate, or would you recommend like get them out of the gate yes life? yeah I'd say yes. Uh, if you can't find them, though, um, nail clippers work pretty well. They will yeah. Be, yes. I used nail clippers I've, for quite a while. If you have, which most folks do, if you have a tool set and you have, uh, like, some wire cutters in there, use those first just to make sure you like the hobby. Or just find anything around the house that you can use to cut it. Yeah. Um, but let's say you do your first model and you're like, I, I want to keep doing this. Then your next investment should be in a good set of like uh, clippers and a scalpel knife and glue, like good glue. For the Let first just... few years of me doing the hobby, I was using a box cutter. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's the only tool I had, a box cutter. So you can make it work. It's not as fun though. And your models will look not as good. That is very true. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's amazing. It's surprising what tools you can actually just utilize um, for this hobby. It's not like you have to use this branded one. You have to use this. You have to use this. You can make pretty much anything work. Um, so that's one thing that I tell people who don't know about it when they look at it. You know, like I'll, they'll ask me how much have I personally spent, you know, on tool like on a certain model. And I'll, I'll tell them, like, well, the model costs, costs 120 bucks because I wanted to get this one special. Uh, then paint, tools, all of that. You add it up and it's like, well, you're hitting around four, $500 worth of equipment and uh, resources and stuff. And that puts people off quite quickly, um, especially people our age who, you know, probably don't have a high income or anything like that. But I always tell people, it's like, no, like when I started, I had literally nothing i had to go when i wanted to build the cromwell i had to go out to the hobby store and pick up new cement new uh new exacto blade because i'd used one and that was only because i'd used one when i was younger with my dad and i didn't even have um clippers or anything like that i just i'd either twist you're gonna hate me for this i used to either twist things off the sprue and yep. clean it up or cut it directly with the uh the blade but, um, That's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the same thing. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you do what you got to do for the hobby. Good to go. Yeah. But I tell people, it's like, you, you don't, like, if you, have, if you have those three things, you can, they'll last you a long time until you get properly invested in it. Um, you know, you don't have to spend an enormous amount on the hobby straight away. That comes later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It will come. It will. Yeah. You'll eventually you'll sit down and look around and you'll see a stack of thirty models you just bought on a whim and you know about fifty different paints and an airbrush and all of that. But that all comes later. That all comes later. One thing I will say is that for people who are trying to get in, and this is something that I have experience with both on like the buying and like selling end, um, 
it is addicting. Buying a model looks like that that dopamine rush of buying the model, looking at the box certain and opening it up and smelling the plastic sprues is something that I think we all can relate to. If yeah, you no, the best cost down. If you want to keep your costs down, especially if you're like getting if you're just a beginner to the hobby, stash management is a huge thing. Force yeah. yourself to not buy kits. If you like find out you really like it, will keep the cost down so much because for the cost of one kit, you can get like if you're into tools, you can get all sorts of tools because they're getting really inexpensive now. Like a lot of hobby stores are carrying brands like Master Tool, which are getting a lot like a lot cheaper, especially compared to say Tamiya. Um, you can get a lot of paint for that, you know. So just you know, having that self control initially, as you're still like kind of getting into it, it'll be a huge help. And then you won't rush your models as much, and then they'll actually end up looking that much better just because you took a bit more time on them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah and it's definitely one thing. Like you tell people, it was like when you're building it, don't rush it, which is you know for me a bit hypocritical but <clears throat> you know do as i say don't not as i do but you know i tell people so you know it might take you a month two months to build it that's totally fine you know and you know especially if the if they've done a, done one or two models and they get to that point where it's like well i just want this done and i'm stuck on this model like dennis's with his carrier and stuff like that then i'll tell people to then i'll teach them about the slammer build you know just buying a incredibly cheap small scale something and building it quickly to you know scratch that itch of finishing something yeah and i guess for like if you're interested it depends also on like what you're interested in obviously if you want if, if you want to enjoy the hobby you want to probably build stuff that like attracts your eye right so i talk to a lot of car modelers and one thing i will say if you decide hey i'm really into tanks and you want to like branch out probably go to something like aircraft or ships avoid cars early on because like you're going to need a whole bunch of different paints for those and that's going to add up you know quite quickly right yeah but if you're say into cars i would say avoid going straight to tanks because with aircraft you can still do those nice clean glossy finishes like just finding out how the, your your stash of like paints will play with different models is a great idea and i like to keep a list of what paints i have just so that then you, you're looking at, you know, the kits in the aisle, you can kind of immediately identify how many more paints would I need to buy just to, you know, finish this kit, right? So, like, do just doing that, like, keeping an idea of what you've already got is a huge help. That is true. Yeah. Don't don't overthrow your sash. <laughs> yeah. And definitely, I'd say definitely stay away from the uh, gatekeepery. There, unfortunately, as with every hobby, there is the gatekeepers, and I'm sure we've all encountered them. Um, yeah, you can just ignore those ones, like because they're they're stuck in their own world. And but you know, it's a model; you can do whatever you want with it. Um, I mean, that's what I do with mine. The way, like, you get the people who do realism, and then you get people like me, who the way I paint my tanks and do markings and all that add accessories they all might be a bit out there and a bit you know you say if you look at my uh my type one japanese self-propelled gun the honey in the kit it came with the uh turret machine gun for the type 97 
And I thought it would be kind of cool to chuck it on top of the Honey uh, gun, gun shield just as a sort of, uh, you know, like out in the field sort of you want some sort of anti-personnel protection. That's what you had to slap on. And so I, I model everything from the, my perspective of, well, if this was my world, if I had this, what would I do with it? You know, it doesn't have to necessarily be historically accurate or anything like that. Um, as long but, as you have fun and yeah. you're happy with what you're doing, that's all that matters. If oh, you want to go for realism, then go for it. If you want to go in La La Land and do your own thing, by all means, fucking send that shit. Because at the end of the day, it's your model. And as long as you're happy with it, that's that's where you're going to get your real genuine satisfaction from. Not if Bob from Facebook thinks you overweathered something or some <laughs> other shit, right? It's all about you and your model and enjoy mm, it. Yeah. Wait, so Greg, does this mean I can put the Canadian flag on my Abrams tank? Yes, send it. Yay. <laughs> And then uh, I'd say I'd suggest another good resource is YouTube. Um, oh, one hundred percent. Watch YouTube. Watch how others do it. But but at the same time, don't get intimidated by it. Um, like when I started watching them, you start, you know, you you just started the started your modeling and stuff like that, and then you end up watching something like Night Shift, you know, something from Movin, Martin Kovac or Plasma or something. And you see the detail and how well they do stuff. Then you look at yours. There's one one thing you need to remind yourself is like they've been doing it for years and years. Don't get intimidated by it, you know. And some of those guys even do it for a living too. So yeah. they've got yeah. lots of experience. And they're going to have obviously not to say that tools like make a model better, but they will have like a lot of things like airbrushes and you know punch and die sets and all those things that just make it easier to add detail to it. Like those things, if you're really into it, will come with time. And it's all about the journey that's important. And uh, also be wary of Night Shift in particular because the guy is so sweet and so kind. He always says he doesn't like how his models ended up where he isn't doing a good job. Don't let that fool you. He is a pro. Oh, that's if I ever have an interview or just talk with him, I am going to get on his case about that. Like, <laughs> I, I will happily tell him, I'm like, no, no, you are an inspiration to how many modelers internationally you are like what people consider one of the best do not sit there and make some some awesome bloody beautiful diagram diorama or something like that and then go yeah but you know it's not the best it's not too good or anything yeah. like that it's like no you it's like people look up to you if you're saying that looks bad then anything they do they'll consider as bad it's like no you gotta it's like yeah you can be self-critical about it but at the same time people are looking looking up to you you know, you can't just sit there and go, oh, well, I did this and it's really bad or I don't like it or anything like that. It's like, okay, you can admit that, yeah, there's one or two little aspects on it, but yeah, you can't just sit around going, yeah, I'm not that good. I'm not too good or anything like that. It's like, no, 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 no. You're in the top 1% of us, you know? Facts, like you, yeah. So you, you got to, what's the word I'm looking for? You got to, um, you know, you're like an ambassador almost, you know, you got to. Yeah. You're propping up the uh, the industry. You're prop propping up the hobby. You know you don't you don't want to say you're bad at it because you're not. Okay. Now, thinking of dioramas. Now, Greg, one of the things I noticed is that I don't know about you guys, but as a beginner, I was afraid of dioramas. Like I didn't know how to make them, and I didn't really like ever make one until like this year, actually. 
but Greg, you have as a beginner, you know, in the kind of like the first year or so, you've just been cranking out the best dioramas I've ever seen. Like how, how did you like approach that as a beginner? Uh, well, first off, thank you. That's very kind. Uh, to give a little backstory, when I was a kid, like everyone else, I built Legos. Uh, and that was like <laughs> kind of my way to get... Ah, yeah, shut up, Ezra. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was, <laughs> that was kind of my way to get through life, right? As a kid, I was building Legos. And I liked to build these huge, like, World War II fucking, like, I call them mocks, my own creations, right? Um, growing up a little bit, stopped doing Legos, moved on with life. Uh, joined the military, and you know I was playing video games during my free time, um, and I'm thinking, man, like I I want something else to do. So that's when I got in, looked on YouTube. Uh, CW modeling actually was my inspiration. I saw his dios, and I'm like, man, I I want to do that. So uh, shout out to Chalky CW modeling, dude, you're my inspiration. Love your work. Uh, I doubt he'll ever listen to this, but on the slightest chance he does. Uh, so I saw his stuff, and that's when I started doing my own dios. Uh, and that's yeah, it's a little intimidating at first, but by God, is it fun, man! Building dios is just because you get to tell a story, and I I personally love recreating history as well as I can, yeah. and being able to have that same creativity and being able to mold things into a scene like I used to do with Legos. Um, you know, I've, I've got a pretty happy life, and part of that is due to my wife, my son, and the hobby, and you guys. Like, it's just the, the inspiration, seeing other people uh, building dios uh, like Ezra's and the rest of your guys' like standalone vehicles and stuff. It's just incredible seeing it. And I want to be able to be on like y'all's level, so it makes you want to makes you want to be. I don't know how to put it, dude. You already are on our level. <laughs> I'd say <laughs> that's very kind of you guys. I appreciate it. But yeah, long story short, uh, CW modeling is the reason I started doing dios and. I actually bought the Millennium Falcon and some TIE Fighters, the Lego variants. My wife and I built them. And I was like, yeah, fuck that. It's too expensive. So, <laughs> <laughs> I will say, as expensive as plastic modeling is, it's probably not any worse than Lego at this stage. Oh, yeah. no, not at all. I promise you. I, I swear to God, I, I would put my next paycheck on it that scale modeling is way cheaper than buying Lego sets at the rate we do. Yeah. And there are those people that super glue their Lego sets together as well. They don't count as scale modelers, though. <laughs> don't be fooled. Yeah, uh, like uh, for me and dioramas, like they are intimidating. Um, I've got maybe one, two, three. I'm working on my fourth big one. And yeah, like my first one was for my Churchill and that is literally a dirt road and a green field next to it. That's it. You know, that was nothing the, wrong with that. Um, then my next, the next one I did was the SMK and that's just a raised road and a, a kit bash, uh, wooden fence. That was about as, as far as I do it. Cause I try and do something, something a bit different each time. 
like that's my way of modeling is I don't model things exactly the same way I did the last time. I always try something something new because that's just how I work. I, I can't do repetitive. Uh, so the next one was my uh, North Africa diorama, and that was just using bits and pieces I had around the house just to just because if it gets uh, if I have figures included, I want to use the figures as well. So I've got a nice little um, North Africa uh, diorama, but yeah. So I'm currently working on the the Type One self-propelled gun, and this is probably going to be the more complex of the dioramas. So I'm still plan I'm still trying to plan out how I'm going to make things on it. But yeah, yeah, they can cool. they can be intimidating at first, but you just got to just go for it, just do it. Yeah. Like Ezra, Ezra, what was uh, you've been a bit quiet? What was your uh, experience starting? Uh, just keep going at it, and you'll eventually start getting better. Watch a lot of YouTube videos. Get really fed up with yourself. Yeah. What, what was uh, so your first model? Uh, what was your experience with it? Like, you know, how did it come out? What not? Um, it came out horribly and it was missing a ton of parts, but I really enjoyed making it. Which one like, was it? I, it was the Ravel 700 and something weird scale USS Arizona. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. That that one's really common. A lot of people begin doing that. Yeah. And, with that. I had such a blast doing it. I then went out and bought the Academy 172nd scale B-17 Memphis Bell. Ooh, oh, nice. How was that? Uh, it's an okay kit, but I did a horrible job on it. Yeah, one thing I you would guys... say to people is, like, no matter what, don't expect your first kit to be, like, anything insane. Like, it's okay oh, yeah. for it to not look amazing. And to be fair, you will probably think it's, like, the best thing on Earth until, like, six, seven months down the road, you'll look back and be like, holy shit. Which is completely normal and fine. That's, like, kind of the process, if we're being honest. Yeah. And then you'll end up destroying it. Like, I don't have any of my models that I made last year or the year before that. They're all gone. Which is fine, because you make room for... Uh you know, for your own stuff, your, your yeah. better stuff. Yeah. yeah. You can put them on your juice rack. Oh God. <laughs> Not the juice rack. <laughs> and, I, and, I'd, and I personally would say like, if you are, if you do build your first model and you're not happy with it, or you think it doesn't look that good compared to others and all that, I think the best thing to do is take it to your friends who don't build models. Yeah, honestly. Because uh, you'll be looking at it from a critical eye of, oh, I've done this wrong, that's a mistake, that's a mistake, and that's all you'll see. Um, right. Whereas then you take it to people who don't model or, you know, they don't build or anything like that, and you'll see it, suddenly you'll get their perspective of, they'll think it looks great. They'll wonder how the hell you managed to do it, you know. Uh, if you need to pick me up, just take your models to people who um, are excited that you have a hobby and but don't do it themselves, uh, you'll get a good pick-me-up pick from that alone. Yeah. yeah, that's another thing. Involve, like, not overly, right, but, like, let, let your family and friends know that you're getting into it, and you'll probably, you know, depending on what your culture's like, who your friends and family are, you might get picked on, like, oh, that's an old man hobby, or, or that's childish, or, or whatever the case may be, but 
you, you'll get some of those guys like you know Callum's been saying like they they will be interested, and hell maybe they'll even want to start. You know, you may he may have a local buddy to to hang out with. Yeah. Yeah. And if worse comes to worse, um, social medias as well. You know, your Instagram, Facebook. Join our Discord. Discord, YouTube. Yeah. Join our Discord. <clears throat> Please. Um, but yeah, that, um, yeah, like that that's how we started. I mean that's how Absolutely. I that's how I joined um, Ezra and Dennis and whatnot. It was just a a random invite to the uh, the first group build, the one to one to one hundred scale group build. Yeah, that it's actually a- funny you mentioned that. Like, I think out of everybody I messaged, I thought you were going to say no. I was about le- to. <laughs> yeah, like, you left me on scene for, like, a week, and I was like, oh, oh well. Yeah. It was worth a, worth a try. Yeah, that one, I, I, I actually spent quite a bit of time. It's like, oh, should I? I don't know. I'm pretty busy. But then eventually someone's like, just fucking do it. And I was like, well... Uh, yeah, I mean, I keep saying I need to go and like meet people online and talk to, to people about it and whatnot. Fuck it, I might as well do as I say I'm going to do. So yeah, that's when I messaged back and said, "Yeah, I'm in." Yeah, I literally bought. I literally texted you saying, "Yeah, I'll join," and then bought a bought a model for it there and then on my phone. Nice. Yeah, that's that's something else that some folks might be a little intimidated by is don't be afraid to hit people up on, on the internet. Like yeah. go to your local hobby store. If you get, if you got one, like not like Michael's cause they don't count, uh, <laughs> but like, like a hobby on USA or something, go there. They'll probably have like a local meeting. They do maybe once a month or so. That's a possibility. So you can find some local people, but definitely the internet, you're going to find guys like ourselves who are normal dudes with normal lives, but this is like our passion. And we would love to bring you in. Uh, if you have questions or want advice, we'll happily happily give it to you. And uh, definitely enjoy enjoy the journey with you. I will also, also say, just you know, on that note of like talk going to your local hobby store. If you do live in like a major city, most major cities in like especially North America, but also in Europe and Asia and all that, even in South America, it's really popular. They should have at least one hobby store. You go there, the guys who work there, generally speaking, work there because they themselves are hobbyists. Like, it's not the kind of thing where you might go to say, um, like a clothing store, and you might have people there who don't even wear those clothes, right? It's like you go to a hobby store. The people there are generally are like not experts per se, but like they know a little bit about what they're talking about because they do it themselves. And like, whenever I get people coming in who are new to the things, I, I talk their ear off for like hours. About just like you know, you know how the hobby goes, and like if they have any, if they want any advice or any tips. The guys at hobby stores are like always there to talk, and like you can go in there like ten times a day with you know all sorts of questions. We will always, every single time, be happy to talk to you and answer anything that you might have to ask because we also oh, like yeah. we we definitely like see the hobby in like a more technical standpoint as well. Like if you want to know the difference between products, we can tell you that in detail. Like. You know, it, all that sort of thing. And we usually get to look at the kits before, you know, they get sealed up. Yeah, no, I mean, I think someone's working at a hobby store because they want to be there. You know, that's something they have a real passion in. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, you, I don't go to my hobby store as much, but I always have a quick chat with the guy who's um, at the counter or anything like that, you know? But whenever yeah. I go to the hobby store near me, the guy looks at me, takes my money, and I leave. Like, he just... I don't know. I want to say, like, oh, I'm actually a serious model builder, but... But you're also buying, like, only Ravel kits from the 1950s, dude. No! <laughs> the last time I went there, I bought the Tamiya Korean War Sherman. <laughs> and then the last time, I got the $120... Uh, Bronco Buffalo with slat armor. It's probably oh, just yeah. annoyed. Like coming along. <laughs> I have not started it. I'm actually legitimately scared of that model. <laughs> he's fun. He's probably just annoyed because you've cleaned him out of stugs and everyone's been asked, bitching to him about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I looked. He doesn't have any. <laughs> he's hiding them from you. He's like, oh shit, it's the like, stug kid. Hide him. <laughs> you got to, you got to do, you got to say like a special password to him to get one. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well. But yeah, that would be our advice to prospective modelers. Is, yeah. that on my Instagram. <laughs> so you got the drool. <laughs> <laughs> you need to put this picture on, in the slide so they can see what we're laughing about. I will. I will. <laughs> oh my god. I god, cried. Guys. I just cried. Oh. Oh. oh Jesus. I think I think that's a good spot to close it. Yes, yes, that's you a good time. Up until this point, thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to the Micro Machines podcast. Uh, yeah, thank you all so much. And, a uh, podcast where you goodbye. might learn something or not. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, goodbye, everyone. Right, See, ya. See ya.